Bibles and uh, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be getting there in, in just a little bit. We're continuing our series today of My Living Hope. We've looked at a lot of things and we're going to continue to look at the living hope that we have in Jesus. Now the graduates, you guys were just up here and and graduates have a lot of stressful things in their life, especially right now. Uh, they've probably all been asked about a thousand times, so what are you going to do with your life? You know, what, what college are you going to go to? What, uh, what job are you going to get? Really? You're going to do that? You know, that, and, and so it's, it's kind of stressful because it's like, man, I've got to decide the rest of my life, you know, right now. And, and so they're going through that, that stress. Another thing that can stress out some graduates is, you got to send in college applications, you know, and find out, am I good enough to attend your school? Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of that's rough to do, a little stressful. They also have to fill out uh, college scholarships, and, uh, you know, they're just waiting to get that piece of mail back. Uh, you know, did I make it? Did I get that money? Uh, how am I going to pay for college? That's stressful. You know, college, if you haven't checked lately, it's expensive. Right? And so that can be very uh, stressful, even for parents. Parents, you might feel a little stressed uh, today as you send off your, your graduate. Uh, so those things are, those are stressful. Also, they got to finish high school classes, you know, make sure they actually get that diploma today. Uh, preparing for their graduation party can be stressful. Uh, also, just having to say goodbye to a lot of their friends uh, and a lot of their family as they head out. Uh, Today might be the last day, graduates, that you see some of these friends that you've grown up with since kindergarten. You may never see them again for the rest of your life. And, and that can be stressful to have to say goodbye to so many people and not know the next time that you're going to see them. Another stressful thing is, as they walk the, the line today is uh, making sure they don't trip, right? That's very key, especially with social media the way it is today. I mean, everyone's got their phone. If you trip while you're getting your diploma you know that's going out on social media, like right away. Uh, it's going to go viral. Uh, so, you know, that's another thing you got to be thinking about. You know, I don't want to fall. I don't want to mess up at my graduation. Uh, they got to pack for college, another stressful thing. Uh, but one of the most stressful things, I think, as, as a graduate, and they've already done it already, but preparing to take the ACT, right? Maybe many of you guys have done that. Uh, filling out the ACT. ACT is a test, a standardized test that you have to take uh, in order to see uh, how well you're going to succeed at the next level. Colleges look at it, scholarships look at it, and depending on how good you do on this test, if you do good, uh, more doors are going to open for you, more colleges are going to say, yeah, come here. Uh, more scholarships are, are you're going to qualify for more available monies. If you do bad on it, you know, Maybe college isn't the option for you. Maybe you can't get into that dream college that you wanted to. You can't get to that dream job that you've always wanted to do. So taking the ACT can be very stressful. A perfect score on the ACT is, is 36. If you fill it out and you get every answer right, man, you get a 36. Now, if you fill it out, you put your name on it, and you get all the bubbles, you at least get a 1, right? Uh, so there, there's a wide range of scores. You can get anywhere from 1 to 36, in colleges, they set standards on the minimum score it takes to get into their college. Uh, so for a state college, they might say you need at least an 18 to get in, or, or just, just a local college, you know, just, just a small college. And, and if they're small enough, they might say, and even if you don't get 18, maybe we'll just still let you come in because we could use your money. Uh, and, and then you have the next level, you got the, a bigger state college, and they might say, you know, we only accept you if you're going to be a 25 or a 26, you know, a little, little higher bar. 
Uh, if you want to get into an elite school, maybe an Ivy League school, they're going to say minimum is 32. Like you got to get a 32 out of 36 if you want to attend here. That's, that's the minimum requirement. So it could be pretty stressful because it's like, oh, you, you might go in thinking, I, I need to get a 24. Like, if I just get a 24, I know I can apply for those scholarships. I know I can get into the college I want. And, I mean, this test covers everything that you've learned. It t- covers English and math and, and reading and science. Some even do writing. And, and so it's just like a comprehensive test on the first 18 years of your life. Now, I did some checking. And... I found that there are, there are no colleges out there that say you must have a perfect score on your ACT to get in. There's no colleges out there that say you've got to get a 36 in order to get into our college. No one has set the bar that high, which is good because uh, it says that 0.2% of the people who take this test actually get a perfect score, actually get a 36. That's one out of 500 people uh, attain that goal of perfection. Now, even though no one set a, a bar at 36, setting standards for college makes sense because you want to make sure you have students who are capable of succeeding uh, at the next level. Uh, so even to set standards high, like an Ivy League school at a, at a 32, uh, it still helps these, these advanced students to reach their maximum potential. But to demand perfection, to demand you've got to score a perfect score, seems a bit crazy. I mean, because even in our schools today, to get an A, you don't have to get 100%. You just got to get a 95%. Uh, you don't have to get an A to pass a class. You just need a D, right? You just need 65% and, and you pass the class. And very few places in our world today uh, is perfection a requirement. There's always a margin of error. In fact, in America today, it just feels like we keep lowering and lowering our standards, you know, so everyone can be included, so everyone can get that participation trophy, right? And uh, so to think of someone setting the standard at perfection at 100% at a 36 feels wrong. It feels too exclusive. But this morning, uh, as I look in the book of Hebrews, and you don't have to turn there, that's exactly what God did. He set a standard. He set a standard for us to get into heaven. And God's standard, his minimum requirement is perfection. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. There's probably a sign outside of heaven that says perfect people only, right? Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, holiness refers to God's absolute purity, perfection, and separation from all evil. The God we serve is perfect in everything he does. He's never had a wrong motive. He's never made a hasty decision. He's never had a moment of weakness, never even a small error. He's perfect. God is incapable of messing up. Uh, He's incapable of error, and that's why he is holy. To be holy is to be perfect, and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, to make it into heaven, perfection isn't an option, it's a requirement. To make it into heaven, perfection isn't an option, it's a requirement. We have to be perfect to get in. I mean, look back to the beginning, back in Genesis. You look at Adam and Eve. 
God made the world in, in six days. He rested on the seventh day. And he made the world. He looked at it and he said, this is good. This is good. This is perfect. He made a perfect world. He, he, he made everything, the, the trees, the animals, the, the oceans, the stars. He made it perfect. Adam and Eve, man and woman, he made them perfect. And, and so it said that Adam and Eve, they got to walk in this perfect garden with God. They got to walk with him. They got to see his face. Because they were perfect at that point. They were holy. But then they made one mistake. They messed up. Just, just one little error. They, they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to. God told them, you can eat from any tree in this garden except that one. And, and they ate the fruit. They messed up. They sinned. They had one error. And because of that, they were kicked out of that perfect creation. They, they were kicked out of that relationship with God because they were no longer perfect. They were no longer holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without perfection, we, we can't get into heaven. All Adam and Eve did was eat a piece of fruit they were told not to. Just one blemish. Just one mark against them. Just one sin. How much more have we in this room this morning messed up? How many countless worse things have we done uh, than eat some forbidden fruit? We're guilty. No one in this room is perfect. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if holiness and perfection are the only way to see the Lord, if that's the only way we can get into heaven, and we are far from perfect, then this morning how can we make it into heaven? How can we attain this impossible mark of perfection? We're kind of at a conundrum here. But thankfully, I've got good news for you. Uh, because, again, this series we've been doing, it's called Our Living Hope. We have hope because Jesus was raised from the dead, because he's no longer in the grave. He is alive. So again, if you got your Bibles, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, the verse we've been looking at this whole series is verse 3. And I want to read that for you this morning. It says, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, it, it changed everything. I mean, it, it changed the course of history. He overcame the power of sin. He overcame the power of death. And he did the impossible. See, it may look like you're in an impossible situation. I'm imperfect, and i got to be perfect to get into heaven. It's impossible for me to get from here to there. But I'm thankful that we serve the God who's already done the impossible, the God who's already defeated death, he's already defeated sin, and he can take our imperfectness and he can make us perfect. He can take our impossible and he can make it possible. He's our living hope. We may feel hopeless, but we serve the God who is our living hope. So this morning, I want to look and how Jesus can take us from imperfect uh, and take us who are unholy and completely change us from the inside out and make us holy and help us to chase perfection in our lives. So just a couple verses later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, uh, I want to read that for you this morning. It says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, 
because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Now, I'm going to stop there this morning. Uh, the first time I read this verse, you know, and I'm looking for this answer of, of how do we overcome our imperfection? How can we, you know, attain this holiness? Because without holiness, we don't get to see the Lord. Uh, and, and I look at this verse, and I read it the first time, and I read it the second, and third, and the fourth, and the fifth time, and I'm just thinking, wow, God, this is some really great advice. So to overcome my imperfection and to be holy, your solution is to be holy. Like, that's great advice. That would be like your boss coming up to you and, and saying, all right, by 5 o'clock tonight, you need to make $5 million for this company. You know, and you're like, well, how do I do that? Just do it, you know, just make it happen. And they're like, well, th- that's not very helpful. And that's the way this verse kind of feels is like, all right, you want to be holy? Here's the solution. Be holy, right? Just, just be holy. It's like, okay, thanks, God. I'll just, I'll just go be holy. Uh, if you need me, I'll just be being holy over here, all right? And, and that's kind of the way it feels. It's like, God, what kind of advice is this? Just be holy. And, uh, but the good news is that if the Bible tells us to be holy, then that means there's at least a chance, right? Like he's not going to tell us, God's a, he's a good father, and he's not going to tell us to do something that's impossible. He doesn't tell you just to be holy, just to watch you fail, like, oh, nope, you can't get it. That's, you're failing here. There's, there's no way for you to reach it. No, he says be holy because, hey, there's a chance. There's a way in order to do it. Now, I want you to imagine if Instead of it saying, you know, you need holiness to get into heaven, imagine if the Bible told us this morning that all you had to do was live one perfect day. Like, that's it. You just have to live one perfect day. You got 80 years, and uh, you got to live one perfect day. If you do that, then you get into heaven, right? Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, wouldn't that be interesting? I, I think if that happened, you know, we, we would try to do everything. We would try to manage ourselves. We'd try to change our behavior uh, just to try to make that, I just need that one perfect day. I, I think it would probably turn into the movie, like if you've ever seen Groundhog's Day before, and uh, he goes out, he gets stuck in the same day. He's, he's kind of a cranky weatherman who, who's upset that he's stuck covering Groundhog's Day in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and he's just got a bad attitude. And then he wakes up this next morning, he's still on that same February 2nd. He's still on Groundhog's Day, and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And finally, he thinks, well, if I just live the perfect day, if I just do everything right, if I have a good attitude, then I can move on to February 3rd. You know, so he tries to do it, and, and he gets partway through the day, and he messes up. So then he starts over the next day, and he keeps getting a little further and a little further to a perfect day. You know, I think that's kind of how we would live. It, it would be like, all right, I got through 10 o'clock this morning, then I stubbed my toe. And I said some things I probably shouldn't have. All right, I got to start over the next day. Watch out for that end table. All right, got past that. Now I get to work and someone spilled coffee on me. Well, I lost it. I got some anger. All right, so start over again. Now I get through, man, I made it to 5 o'clock tonight till that neighbor kid threw a ball through my window. And, uh, you know, things didn't go well from there. And we'd try to live that perfect day over and over. We'd just try to modify our behavior day after day. And we'd try to live that perfect day to get into heaven. See, when we're faced with that task uh, of becoming perfect, of becoming more like Jesus, our natural response is to try to do good things, to become perfect, or to try to stop doing bad things that we are trying to do. We're always trying to do things. But this verse says nothing about doing holy things. 
And it doesn't say anything about stop doing unholy things. No, it says to be holy. Not to do holy, but to be holy. Because holiness isn't what you do. It's not like you're taking a test and you have to check all the right boxes. You know, did I make the right choice here? Did I serve at every point? Did I love unconditionally? Did I respond uh, out of love? Uh, Was I kind to everyone? Did I avoid gossip? Did I watch the right things? Did I go to the right places? And it's just like, oh, yep, check, 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 check. That's not what holiness is. Holiness isn't what you do. Holiness is who you are. The Bible says we got to be holy. we got to be holy. So you can attempt holiness from, from two different levels this morning. You can attempt it from the doing level, or you can attempt it from a being level. Uh, when you make a goal like, I'm going to go try to run more, or I'm going to cut sugar out of my diet, or I'm going to read more, that's attacking things from a doing level. We just try to modify our behavior. We try to change our calendar. We try to change our schedule. We try to change our habits. And we change it at the doing level. But, but changing things at a being level uh, is much more difficult because now we've got to deal with the inside of us. We, we've got to deal with more than just behavior. We have to change the things that we value. We have to change the things uh, that we believe. And when we try to change our behavior, we usually try to attack it from that first level, that, that doing level. But it seems like we usually fail, and after a set amount of time, we go back into that default mode because we haven't done anything with our being. We've just done things in the doing level, and it never takes root. Uh, it's kind of like an iceberg. Uh, icebergs are massive, and not just the part that you see above the ocean, uh, but even more so the size of it below the water. And uh, the part you can see of an iceberg is only 10% of the iceberg. Below the water, you see the other 90%, the part that keeps it floating, the part that that keeps it upright. And it's similar to how we are wired uh, in our being and in our doing. Uh, Being is made up of our values, its beliefs, our worldview, our assumption, all those things that are rooted deep down inside of us. And that accounts for for probably 90% of who we are. While that other 10% is just the the doing level. That's just the behaviors. That's just the things that people see. But that stems out of the 90% inside of us from the deepest parts of our being. So when we try to modify our behavior, the the 10%, and we continue to fail and we continue to mess up, it's because we haven't taken care of the the 90%, the the majority of who we are. So if we want to be holy... We're never going to attain holiness by just trying to do holy things because we're only hitting 10%. We need, to, we need to work on being holy in the 90%. We got to work on our being. We got to work on our values, on what we, we truly believe because then the 10% will follow. The doing will follow if we change what we believe. So say this morning, say you struggle with anger. Uh, and you try to attack it from the doing level. I mean, you do everything right. I remember a commercial uh, as a kid growing up, it said, stop, breathe, and count to 10 if you get angry, right? You know, so you do all those things. You, you know, you, you, you get into that place, it's like, oh, I'm angry. Oh, I'm going to lose it. Wait a minute, stop. One, two, three. You know, and you try to calm yourself down, and, and you try to avoid those places where you usually get angry. Uh, you try to avoid those people, you know, who just kind of tick you off, and, and you try to do everything right, and you feel like you got your anger issues under control. But then you get into a new place, and all of a sudden something triggers you, and you just lose it. Why? 
because you're still an angry person at the core of your being. You've just worked on uh, angry methods to, to keep you calm, right? You've just worked on calming solutions. You haven't hit the deep down inside. We're at the being level. If we want to fix anger at a being level, a lot of times anger stems from unforgiveness. It, it stems from, from bitterness, things that, that we've been holding on to that we don't want to let go of. And so that's the difference between doing and being. Do you want to solve that 10% or do you want to solve the root of the problem? That's, that's when we deal with it at a being level. See, holiness starts on the inside and it works its way out. So that's what I love about Jesus. That's what I love about my living hope. His resurrection power in my life does much more than change my behavior. He, he does much more than change me at my doing level. He changes me at the inmost part of my being. He changed me, changes me at a, at a deep level. He changes our deepest desires, and that in turn changes our behavior. See, our living hope does more than merely change what we do. He changes what we desire. Psalm 37.4 puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. A short, I'll read it again. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your of your heart. Now, many people have interpreted this verse as, well, if I love Jesus, then he's going to give me everything I want. He's going to give me all my desires. He's going to give me that new car, that new house, that new job. He's going to give me that perfect family. I'm going to get to go on that dream vacation. All I got to do is love Jesus. That's not what this is saying. It's saying if you delight yourself in the Lord, like if you love him, if, it, if it's just like he is your everything, he's your number one, then, then when we desire him, when, when we get closer to him, then we're going to become more like him to the point that he's going to give us new desires. He's going to give us desires that line up with his will. Not, not our own selfish desires. He's going to change those. Now it's like, now I don't want, you know, that new car anymore. Now I just, I just want to be more like Jesus. Man, now I just, I want to reach people. I want to love people because there's people out there who need to know about him. I want to spend time with Jesus. So he's literally going to give us new desires. He's going to change us at that being level. The closer we come to God, the more we become like him. The more we will want what he wants. See, perfection isn't attained by trying to do things perfectly. It's attained through being closer to God. So how can we be closer to God, right? So we've kind of got, all right, perfection. We'll work our way backwards this morning. We got to be perfect to get into heaven. So we got to be holy. So how do we be holy? All right, we be holy by being closer to God. So now we're over here, imperfect people. How do we get closer to God so that way we can be holy, so that way we can get into heaven, right? So how do we bridge that gap? How can we be closer to God? What are things we can do in order to work on our being? Because there are still things that we can do to help us to become more holy. And if we keep reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's still continuing in the same section. Verse 1 says this, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation." now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this passage, I believe, it, it lays out two different ways uh, that we can think of things we can do in order to be holy. And the first part of being holy is to separate yourself 
from sin. To separate yourself from sin. Uh, at the first part of this passage, it says that we need to rid ourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And the list could, could keep going on of all these deep things inside of us that we need to separate ourselves from. We need to separate ourselves from those old desires that we used to have, those old things that used to tear us down. See, all of these are issues that come from within. They all are issues of who we are, not what we do. Even if you look back at that original passage in verse 14, it says, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, uh, if you have a living hope, then don't go back to those old desires. Don't go back to those, those old things that, that used to hold you down. Don't go back to those old situations that used to tempt you. Don't go back to that sin that used to hold you in bondage. Run from it. Separate yourselves from it and get new desires, get godly desires. If we want to pursue holiness, then we got to separate ourselves from sin. It's impossible to be holy and to hold on to sin. We can't do both. We can't hold on to sin and be holy because they're opposites. They're on other ends of the spectrum. Either we run towards sin and run away from holiness or we run towards holiness and we separate ourselves from sin. Uh, It kind of reminds me of... uh, Oh, we've got a student. He, he's not with us here this morning. His name's Austin Kingswriter. He's serving up in the, the kids' zone this morning. And uh, he's, he's the son of Pastor Brad and Michelle over here. Uh, he told me I could embarrass him a little bit, so it's okay. And, uh, but he's a, he's a pastor's kid, right? And as a pastor's kid, you kind of feel like you've got more reign of the space in the church, you know, because, you know, Pastor Brad's always hanging around here all the time, and Austin's just looking for things to do. So he, he knows every nook and cranny of the church. And one day, he was, he was out back by the trees and and he was having some fun and he realized there was a branch there that kind of annoyed him so he decided to break it off and so he gets there he's rocking it back and forth and and he breaks it off but the problem was the branch broke him more than he broke the tree and he he got he got all scraped up on his arm and he's resilient he didn't think much of it at that time but he goes home and later that night uh he starts having a fever he starts having the chills, and he realizes something's wrong. That tree did something to me. And they took him into the doctor, and they said, well, you've got an infection. It probably happened from the tree. So they, they gave him antibiotics to treat it. And so he goes home. He starts taking the medicine. And, and a week later, that infection's still there. In fact, it's getting worse. His arm's swelling up. So they said, there's something still wrong there. They take him into the doctor, they, they do some scans, they decide we need to kind of do some exploratory surgery here, see what's going on, and they go inside and they realize there's still part of that branch inside of him. There, there's still a chunk of tree that is lodged in Austin's arm, and that's what's preventing this medicine from working. The antibiotics weren't working because he still had the infection, literally the branch inside of him. Once they took that out, then, then it was good. Then the antibiotics kicked in and they started working. And the same is true in our lives. See, we've got sin, and, and you can treat sin with, with all the reading your Bible, with uh, praying, with going to church, and you can try to do all that, but if you still have that branch of sin stuck in your arm, if you haven't separated yourself from it, you can pray as much as you want. You can go to church as much as you want, but until you're willing to separate yourself from sin, you're not going to get any better. So, so church, if, if we want to be holy, the first step is we got to separate ourselves from sin. we got to take that branch. we got to take the thing that's causing the infection out of our arm. Those places that we go that tempt us, we got to stop going there. 
Uh, those friends we hang around who, who cause us and lead us into sin, we got to stop hanging around them. Those things that we watch that, that, that cause impure thoughts, we got to stop watching them. We got to separate ourselves from sin if we want to be holy. The second part is this not only do we need to separate ourselves, but we need to be set apart for God. Now that you've removed the junk in your life, you need to fill it with something good. The second part of that, verse 2, says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, this passage talks about a desire to change. Rather than craving sin like we used to, now we need to crave godly desires, to crave that pure spiritual milk. We need to crave more of God. Or as the psalmist put it earlier, we need to delight ourselves in the Lord. See, this is so vital. Because if we remove the sin from our lives, then we're going to have a bunch of empty space there. So we've got to fill it with something good. Uh, Angie and I, we just bought a new house just a couple of months ago. But when we bought it, everything was covered with three foot of snow yet, right? And so it was kind of a mystery of what does the grass look like? What does the landscaping look like? Well, it melted and we found out well, it doesn't look very good, all right? We've got holes to fill. We've got big patches of, of grass that are just dirt. There's, there's no grass there. And so we've got a lot of projects to work on. Well, moving into a new house, things get busy. We focus so much attention on the inside, we forgot to look at the outside and take care of it. And those big patches of dirt, well, they filled in all right. Not with grass, with a bunch of weeds. And it's the same thing in our lives is... We can take away the sin, but if we don't fill it with something good, something else is going to fill that space. And it, it's not going to be the stuff that you want. So we, once we separate ourselves from sin, we got to start filling ourselves with good things. When you stop hanging out at those places, when you got more time on your hand, when you're deciding, well, what should I watch now if I don't watch that? Fill it with something good. Start hanging around godly people, people who are going to challenge you, people who are going to encourage you. Start watching things that are going to fill you rather than just distract you. Start going places, start serving, start being a, a solution to the problem rather being, than being the problem. We got to fill ourselves, we got to set ourselves apart for God and say, you know what, I'm going to take those things I was doing wrong and God, now I'm going to give that time to you. I'm going to give that space to you. God, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to go where you want me to go. So we got to separate ourselves from sin and we got to be set apart for God. That's how we, those are things we can do in order to be closer to God so that he can make us holy. See, the bad news this morning is, is that in our pursuit of perfection, we will never reach perfection. We will never reach perfection. We can't become completely holy on our own. The good news is that Jesus, our living hope, he solves the problem of imperfection. Our, our sin, our imperfection means that we should die. It's the penalty for sin. Yet Jesus lived a perfect life. He had no sin. He did not have to die, but yet he died willingly. So he could trade your imperfection for his perfection. So he could trade you your sin for his perfectness, for his holiness. Because he loves you. Not because he got anything out of it, but because he loves you. And he wants you to have a relationship with God. So now when God sees us, when he goes to judge us, he doesn't see our imperfection anymore. He doesn't see our sin, but he sees his son's holiness. He sees his son's perfection, and he says, you're perfect. You can come on into heaven. 
Man, I'm so thankful for our living hope. I'm so thankful we have a Savior who gives us his perfection. I'm so thankful that we have an opportunity to be holy, not because of anything we did, because of what God did. See, perfection comes from recognizing our imperfection and our inability to attain perfection. And instead, we rely on God's perfection. We trade ours for his. So again, the problem this morning is that God only allows perfect people into heaven. And we aren't perfect. We never will be. But we can pursue Jesus. We can chase after him. And he can trade us our imperfection for his perfection. This morning, I want to invite the worship team to come. We're going to close. And, and, and this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never made that initial step, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. I want to give you an opportunity to experience God's perfection today. Forgiveness of your sins. I want to give you that opportunity. Also this morning, if you're sitting there and you're just like, man, I've really been holding on to that sin. That stick is still stuck in my arm and I haven't removed that source of infection. I want to give you that opportunity as well to say, God, I give it to you. Take this infection away. Or if you're just like, man, I... I just need to get closer to God. I've separated myself from sin, but I, I've let some other things fill it. They may not be bad, but they're not good. They're not what God wants. This morning, my challenge is to you, is pursue God. Continue chasing after his perfection. We'll never reach it, we'll never attain it, but he'll give it to us. He'll give it to us. So this morning, would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. And, and just right now, it, this morning, if you're, you're just saying to yourself, I, I need to experience that change. I need to experience salvation for the first time. I'm tired of trying to be perfect. I can't do it. I need God's perfection. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, thank you. Is there anybody else? Well, let's pray this morning. If you rose your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer after me. It's not a magic words or anything like that, but it's just praying from the heart, saying, God, I, I want to be changed. I want to be new. Maybe you've prayed this prayer a thousand times. Would you pray with me as well? But, but let's, let's give it over to Jesus this morning. Dear Jesus, I need more of you. I know I can never be perfect. But Lord, I want your perfection. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I want your holiness. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, heaven is now open to you. There are angels rejoicing in heaven right now because you prayed that prayer. Man, it is a good day. Church, this morning, we're going to close with this song from the inside out because that's what we need Jesus to do in us is changes from the inside out. 
not just our actions. He doesn't just change our behaviors. He changes our desires. So this morning, these altars are open. I'm going to pray. You guys are free to go. But I challenge you to seek God this morning, to get closer to Him. Jesus, God, we come to you today, God, knowing that you are the only answer. God, knowing that you are the only way to heaven. We can't do it on our own. We can't do enough perfect things to earn our way. God, only you, only what your son did on that cross. So God, this morning we choose to separate ourselves from sin and we choose to be set apart for you. God, would you work inside of us? Would you meet us at these altars this morning? In Jesus' name. Thousand times I've failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond.
Shine.